I am not a bounty hunter. For me, it's gotta be the armor. I don't want your armor. I want my armor. Boba Fett is one of those characters that is so timeless that we forced that character out of the dark hole that it was in. I know that you sit on the throne of your former employer. This is just to get to know Boba Fett a little bit more and know his story. Uh, what makes him tick. I know we got a little bit of it in the Mandalorian and the, the Clone Wars, but this is just solely dedicated to Boba Fett. Jabba ruled with fear. I intend to rule with respect. Join us, the boys of Mandalore, as we break down this new adventure with Boba Fett. Please. Welcome to the Boys of Mandalore podcast, where we talk about all things Star Wars. My name is Ian, I'm one of your hosts, and with me today we have Parker and Mike. Now while we focus on all things Star Wars related here on the podcast, we're currently on a run discussing the new Book of Boba Fett series, which premiered just yesterday at the time of recording on Disney+. This is our first episode reviewing episode number one, Stranger in a Strange Land. We cannot wait to kick things off and see where this series takes us from here on out. Before we jump into the podcast, I wanted to take a minute to say thank you to our listeners. And if you're new to the podcast, thank you for joining us. Be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be the podcast app, Spotify, or anywhere else. The ratings truly help our little podcast begin to stand out in a vast galaxy of Star Wars pods that so many talented others put forth as well. So now, without further ado, let's jump into the episode. There we go. That's the intro. Oh, <laughs> oh I love it. That's like on the loop at my house. What is up, everybody? The boys of Mandalore are here. Ready to chat with you about the very first episode, the premiere of the Book of Boba Fett. Parker, Mike, how are you guys? Hyped on life? Word. Just excited to see the man in green, our boy Boba Fett. He made it. It was a good episode. We uh, got a little bit of a taste. It was a pretty short episode, but I think it... It answered a lot of questions. It set up a ton of stuff. And we are here to break it down and chat about it. So this is the timeline that's set. It's it's a 9 ABY, so after the Battle of Yavin. So we, we need to really kind of um, flush out the timeline here, especially because he does a lot of flashbacks. And it's, it's going to be hard for the listeners to kind of pinpoint where we are in the story. So we'll try to stay true to the flushing with the episode and staying on track with the episode to the end to try to pinpoint where we are and make sure everybody can kind of follow along that way. That way. So in the, in the main timeline, we're, we're in the present day is nine years after the Battle of Yavin. When he flashes back, it's in the timeline of the Return of the Jedi and the attack on the second Death Star. So that's where we are. And we also have flashbacks, like clear back to 
pre-Clone Wars. When he starts to, and we'll we'll pinpoint that too. And I'm so glad they, they did that. Like, we'll 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 talk about that. But super glad that uh, they went back further. And yeah, because mm-hmm. we see young Boba in his death, or the death of his father, Jango, from Attack of the Clones, which is a huge point in his life. I don't think that scene that was shot yeah. was a coincidence. Yeah, it gives it reference and to what what he it still bothers him on a psychological standpoint. Um he hasn't forgotten. And also we see Camino like at the very first and you see Slave 1 and you see he kind of it kind of looks like he's standing through a window and 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 sees the scene of his home where he was originated, where he was born, where he was, you know, where he was created. So looking at that, it just plays, you know, homage to the prequels and then seeing him on Geonosis, picking up his Django's helmet, um, seeing his reflection in the visor shows what, what road he's going to go down possibly who he will become. Yeah. Who he will become in the face of, you know, he wants to be like his father to do him right. So all you prequel haters, it's Canon and it's awesome because I don't know when I saw the waves for the first time, I was like, I got the tingles. Right. Cause just even like playing through the games like battlefront, when you're on Camino battling in the rain, like this, these are iconic places. This is his birthplace. I think that image with him picking up the helmet is going to play a big role. And I think it's important to uh, important part of this story. And Django might be a bigger part of this. And I I hope so. Like it's, it kind of feels that way, but they're not like, I'm glad they put that in. That was really fun for me. Yeah. And then in another part of the flashback, we see like the literal aftermath of that opening act of return of the Jedi with Jabba's sail barge, just like destroyed on the dunes. You see the uh, one tentacle of the Sarlacc that grabbed Lando that Han with the assistance of Chewie was able to shoot and get him free. And then from there, we really just kind of dig into one of the biggest things we talked about in our primer episode of how does Boba escape that certain death over a thousand years of digestion. Yeah. This is what has plagued us since we saw him alive on the Mandalorian. I've had my speculations in our previous episode, which I way overshot, but let's talk about that scene. We find Boba in the stomach of the Sarlacc and he wakes up probably on his, his last couple of breaths that he has in his lungs. And uh, first thing he does when he turns on his light on his helmet is that he sees the stormtrooper, however he got there. Because last I recall, uh, during the uh, attempt execution attempt on Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, I didn't see any stormtroopers there. So that stormtrooper's probably been there for a long time. Maybe it was a stormtrooper from like A New Hope. Yeah, for the droids. And fell in there, and and you can see like the armor is starting to erode and uh, he goes over and fights through the, the stomach to, to get to his oxygen supply, takes a breath, punches through the stomach of the Sarlacc to a different chamber and ignites his flamethrower. And then it just cuts to where his hand reaches through the sands. Boba reaches through the sands. <laughs> it is so good. I am so happy. They had to have done that. Yeah, it was side by side. I've seen it side by side, and it's like identical. So it's confirmation that Robert Rodriguez, Dave Filoni, 
and John Favreau are just huge Parks and Rex fans, and I'm here for it. Freaking Patton Oswald. Yeah, that little Easter egg right there was that's so awesome. Um, the only gripe I had about this, and I told you this, you know, this guy's when we were all done watching the episode, is that I kind of wish there was a little bit more of a fight within the Sarlacc. Maybe the Sarlacc, you know, could feel him moving around in there and has inner muscles to kind of push him and shove him away and uh, give him more of a fight. Maybe just spend like just five more minutes in there and show more of how he actually got out. Because after the flames, he just crawls through the sand. And I just thought it would be more fun to, to see him struggle a little bit more. But regardless, he makes it out, makes it on the, the edge of, of the pit. And uh, he's exhausted. Yeah, he's wiped out. And re-listening to last week's episode, we had said that. We had speculated. I mean, Cobb Vanth in The Mandalorian says he got the armor off of Jawas. So how did the Jawas come into possession of it? And I think we nailed it. Boba, just from that struggle, like you said, is so exhausted that he's just passed out. And when these Jawas come and take his armor, he wakes up. And then the Jawas just smacks him over the head, knocks him back out, and they're on their merry way. When we saw what happened to his skin, I mean, that had to have an effect on how exhausted he was. Like, a little bit too much walking in the desert. I I agree with you, Parker. I think I wanted to see more of the struggle with the Sarlacc. (laughs) Rather than seeing Boba dragged across a desert for so long, because I think we can that kind of beat a dead. Well, we we've waited for this for so long. Like it's it's a it's a minor gripe, guys. Like I'm not like super upset of what we saw or what we got. I'm just saying like we've been waiting to see what's happened for this long, and that scene only took two minutes, if that. And he was in and out. Yeah, I mean, and I think Mike brought up the point that it would have been really cool because it would have tapped more into like the horror genre that would Mm -hmm. be really cool to explore in star Wars. Even if it was just for like three or four extra minutes, Mm -hmm. I think that would have been a really cool expose. And then even see him like how far did he probably have to fight through that sand? Like that would just almost add to his mental exhaustion, his physical exhaustion and just kind of make it even that much better than it already was. Well, yeah, it was like the most claustrophobic death you could have ever imagined a thousand years rotting away. And then we, he just punches his way out, you know, yeah. just imagine like inside of the Sarlacc, like start to fight him. And then he's like, Oh, <laughs> right. You could have been played that up so much more, but I digress. So he's left to die by the Jawas on the sands of Tatooine. And then the sandstorm kicks up. He's probably been out there for quite some time. Uh, getting sunburned by the two suns of uh, orbiting Tatooine or Tatooine orbiting, orbiting them rather. And uh, he gets picked up by the sand people and is captured and enslaved. And as Mike pointed out, he just kind of gets dragged for who knows how long. I mean, I wonder if that's why they kind of dragged it out. I agree. It was a little lengthy. Like we kind of got the point pretty quick, but I mean, that's probably just highlighting how far away and how remote those Tuscan Raider camps are. Right. And what are the Tuscan Raiders really doing out there? They're just basically going from place to place looking for those little water pods. So, I mean, I guess it makes sense that they're going to walk forever, but you know, are these the same Tuscan Raiders we've seen in the past? What do you think Parker? I mean, yeah, they look different. They look like a different tribe than the, they wear different garb than normal Tuscans that we've seen. Their clo- cloaks are darker. They're, 
also like their kids look a little different, like what we saw from the prequels and kind of, it might just be a different tribe, the way their, their tents are and their, their huts, you know, Anakin killed everybody like in those, those makeshift mud huts, but these are like more of tents. Um, They seem to be more warrior based judging of what you can, you know, what they see and, and uh, we'll, we'll walk through this later on, but I think they might be a different tribe could possibly, who knows. And I, I think that makes sense because like you look at native American history and all the different tribes, like their housing was different. Their lifestyles were way different. And I think that it makes sense that Tuscan Raider culture would be the same way. I think the way that they have approached the Tuscan Raiders over the course of the Mandalorian and now with the book of Boba Fett is awesome because it's giving us an inside look at, you know, these people aren't just these savage monsters that we were led to believe from, you know, the original movies and the prequels. It's really explaining and showcasing these are sentient beings that just live differently, that speak a different language that nobody really seems to understand. But at the end of the day, you know, they're just trying to survive in this harsh, harsh climate of Tatooine. I'm here for it. It's it's also the lifestyle that Tatooine, you know, it's just the city and, and slavery and just the will to survive. Like everybody, you can just tell everybody is just in it to survive. And they grasp on power, leadership, you know, try to be a part of a group just to survive. And you can feel the struggle. They're surviving on the land. They don't rely on farming or anything. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that we got to see like how they actually live by the digging, right? Like, and these, this tribe seems to not want to do their own work. So they make their slaves dig for those little pods, which are those pods like plants or animals? Like, I'm unclear on what that is because it looked gross when he squoze that in his mouth. Oh, you're talking about the little like worm thing to kind of j- jolt him up? Yeah. It looked like like a like one of those you know uh, those power lifters they they sniff those salts and kind of wake things up. So it must it might have been right. just so nasty that it just woke him up and gave him a little bit of uh, adrenaline to press forward and while they're carrying him on the on the banthas. Um, and then you can see that they what, what was fun to see them travel in, in a single file formation because Obi Wan discussed they they travel single file to hide their numbers. So that was a a cool little cameo there, but he just eventually gives out and lets, lets the uh, Banthas drag him and till he arrives on, on camp. But as for those drinking, uh, I'm not exactly sure what those are, but they do contain water and they look difficult to find within the sands of Tatooine. Ian, when you went to Disney, did they have the water pods? <laughs> they did not have little water pods, but <laughs> all right, Disney step it up. I think that does make sense for the climate of Tatooine because you look at later in the episode, we have a moisture farmer and then we have Luke's aunt and uncle who are moisture farmers. So I guess in theory, you could almost say the Tuscans do it very labor intensively, but with the technological advances available on Tatooine, you have moisture farmers who probably are doing that same thing, trying to find water underneath the sands of the surface and you know, it's, it's the life force. It's what everybody needs to survive and it's what moisture farmers make their money off of. So kind of a cool new thing that we've been given. I don't know. Kind of explains how Tuscan Raiders or anybody could just live out in the desert without 
a river running past, you know? Yeah. Which, have we seen what they look like in any of the canon at all? I don't think we have. I've Googled it in the past, and I think it's all just fan-made stuff. It is. There's nothing canon to prove. Which the little kid speaking was kind of cool, hearing that in the little kid form. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's cute. Till you remember Anakin Skywalker slaughtering them. Well, younglings, tuk- Tuscan kids, what's the difference? <laughs> so he gets to the camp, and basically the kids of the Tuscan get a get enjoyment of an exhausted Boba Fett and beat the living crap out of him, and he passes out. When he comes to, he is tied to a rock and enslaved also with a Rodian. Which that guy had no chill. What was up with or that? Boba is like, hey, I'll set you free. You want me to cut you loose? And the guy's like, nah. <laughs> he ratted him out. I mean. Snitch, he didn't know snitches get stitches. Or All right. So it's the middle of the night by, by the fire. And we have the... Uh, the Mastiffs, the hounds that the, the Tuscan Raiders keep, kind of like a, a loyal guard dog. And he he wakes up and sees him trying to escape. And he uh, makes a charge and a leap, and Boba knocks him straight out. Which is really weird, because as soon as he knocks him out, he pets him. Did you guys see that? I wonder if that's something... He's just, like, respecting all life. That's the thing. That's what I'm trying to get at, is, like, what the hell was that? Like... He's just kind of this – it's not what we, we've – where did he gain this morality is kind of what I'm seeing. in the lifetime of servitude of being a bounty hunter and a ruthless one at that to pet, you know, this this animal that was about to kill him. But he uh, uses his teeth to cut his bonds and uh, <laughs> goes to the other guys, hey, do you want me to cut your bond? And uh, he rats him out and tries to escape. And he gets caught and tracked down. Um, this is a really interesting part about the Tuscans when they all gather around him. It looks like the chief of this this camp. Um, they this is why I'm saying they're they're more like warrior based and understand like warrior culture. They're more of a a fighting tribe. Let his I think it's his wife or his mate, you know, fight Boba. I mean, I get it. He's a, he's super exhausted, super dehydrated, and he loses. And uh, he's back in, you know, back in slavery of the Tuscans after such when he passes out. I mean, he got a beat down, a hard beat down. Yeah. And this, I think, was one of my favorite parts because it's almost like a callback to, or I guess really a foreshadowing with the, where we are in the canon timeline of when he tries to escape and he fights that one member of the Raiders you can see like he steals the little kid's gaffy stick and he's just like swinging at it. And you can tell Boba is usually like a blasters, flamethrower rockets kind of guy. But one thing that I noticed while watching this the second time was the gaffy stick combat that was used against Boba looked identical. I'll, I'll, I dare say it's identical to what we see Boba utilizing in the Mandalorian when he shows up and he's fighting stormtroopers with his gaffy stick. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just goes to show one thing that we had speculated last week on Boba's probably going to spend a lot of time with the Tusken Raiders because we, when we see him in the Mandalorian, he has that gaffy stick. He has garb that's very similar to a Tusken. So I'm thinking that 
while he's with these Tuscan Raiders, they're probably going to teach him a lot about this hand-to-hand warrior-style combat that will then come to serve him later on in his life. And I think that he's probably not really utilized that a lot thus far. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. But I mean, it's just like when he, I mean, he could have easily taken the Jawas, right? But he was just super exhausted and him being dragged across the desert and then also left around in the sun. He's just super, he, he doesn't have any, he doesn't have much into him. He just escaped the Sarlacc. He just went through all that BS, got captured, got his butt kicked yeah. by the kids and then getting his ass kicked by, you know, this female, um, which is a badass Tuscan, but he just doesn't have much fight left. It's just like a tribal matriarch. And or something. also that acid of the Sarlacc is still eating, eroding his skin. Like he hasn't had a wash. He hasn't, you know, he's getting sunburned, but he's just getting his ass kicked on all sides. So he just doesn't have the strength. Yeah. Even in the Mandalorian, his skin is still hurting and it's not until the present day, nine ABY that we see him in the Bacta that seems to be fixing that. Right. So and then he he gets woken up by Finnick Shan inside the Vacta tank. As soon as he opens it and drains the fluid, and he discusses with Finnick that hey, the dreams are back again. So with that dialogue, it seems like he's more open to Finnick than I thought. Like their relationship. This is what I wanted to talk about in the the previous episode. Is that. Their relationship is is deeper than I thought because he's discussing these dreams with her. And um, later on the episode, you kind of feel more of that camaraderie and trust with each other, which I wasn't too sure about at the the very beginning. But she says, hey, get basically ready. Uh, People are here to pay tribute. And he slaps on the armor. It's such a cool sequence to see how it all goes on. Yeah, I was hoping for a little bit, I don't know, like a little bit of a refresh on the armor. Is there anything new on it right now? Like, I didn't notice any new Easter eggs. It's all the same. I think we might get a little bit more of him starting to evolve a lot more when the series progresses. And maybe there's, there's, I mean, just like The Mandalorian, you almost every episode he kind of tweaked something or gained something to his arsenal it's very possible that Boba's going to do the same. What I really like at the beginning of the scene before he got out of the tank is that the show of the of Jabba's palace was completely empty and kind of this empty soul or vessel of what used to be, you know, a party scene. Like they had parties every night and it's just kind of this hollow shell of of what Boba kind of has to rebuild. So it's just empty and after he took it from Bib Fortuna. I'm, I'm sure they've killed a lot of people that, you know, honored the boss, but we can get to that, that because yeah. So we get down, we get down to the main tra- chambers and uh, we start to see people paying their respects and tribute to the new Lord of the crime syndicate, which is Boba Fett. Now some better than others, some better than others. We have the, how many new races do we get to see here? <laughs> it's pretty cool, though. Yeah, it's always cool when we get to see different... Because there's so many different alien species in Star Wars, and I feel like, for the most part, we see kind of the same ones here and there. But this one really kind of fleshes it out and 
gives us a good we'll go in order so like the oculus dawn offers like a chest of you know credits and you can when he opens the chest you can see that they're republican symbols they're republican credits now instead of like the empire so there's a new kind of currency involved who knows how long that's going to last especially when the first order shows up but that is don't tell Wano. republic credits republic credits are no good out here i need something more real (laughs) they can't understand the word he's saying and appreciate the the tribute and mention they need a protocol droid because they have absolutely no idea what's going on and uh, they need to get to the bottom of communicating for from these different species asap especially if he's going to maintain this this power that he's accumulated we also see what's his name the droid 88 he's basically introducing all of these crime lords to boba and uh it was kind of a fun cameo for him because he's he's the the droid that's basically torturing the other droids when he first arrives at the palace and I think a new that's right does he have a new paint job because I don't recognize him you don't recognize him he had one of that other dro- droids upside down and he like burned his feet <laughs> yeah I remember that part his feet were going It was so sad. Traumatizing, so I forgot it. That is traumatizing. <laughs> I was like, why would they hurt the droid? And then the next one that shows up is the Trandoshan, and uh, Boba said he used to work for him in, the, you know, in his present days, which is super awkward for them both, especially for the Trandoshan, giving him tribute. And it looks to be like a, a Wookiee pelt. Which is very fitting, because Boba used to have at least in Empire and Return of the Jedi, he had, I think, like three or four Wookiee braids. They never really specified that in canon, though. There's a lot of speculation that they were Wookiee pelts or scalps. Um, they're also mentioned that they might have been uh, Jedi braids, but I don't think that's right. But I would probably coalesce on the side of, of Wookiee pelts or scalps. Was Rapunzel a Jedi? Because those are some long braids for a Jedi. I guess, yeah. You're so. Did the Wookiee have to die for this? Oh yeah, dude. The Wookiees have been enslaved, and many. No, they're they're super strong, right? And uh, of course, they're Jedi for for labor. They're going to be taken advantage of and put into slavery for labor labor camps. Yep, our homeboy Sal Guerrera was uh, liberating Wookiees exactly in Jedi Fallen Order. That is correct. And then he also, so this Transocean uh, calls Boba the new uh, Dimio or Daimyo or something like that, which basically means like Lord in Japanese, which is pretty fun sticking to the, the Japanese culture of things. And when he got introduced, it seems like he was in control of like the inner city sanctum and this, the territories that are involved. So I think he's a big player within the power structure of this syndicate and if I if my memory serves, I see him sitting at the table during Boba's discussion of becoming a collective power. So I think he's going to be playing a bigger role in the future and is one of the big players of this crime syndicate. Like building his empire is what you're talking about, right? Correct. Kind of what they hinted at in the uh, trailer where they're all kind of sitting at the table. Very mob boss-esque. Correct. He's one of those mob bosses. I think they all are, for that matter, for what we've seen so far. I was watching it with subtitles, and it said Dawn. Yeah. (laughs) Mob Dawn or something. So they're definitely all Dawns. (laughs) 
The next one who walks in is the Orange Twilic, who is the representative and domo of the mayor of uh, Most Vespa. This guy's a douche. <laughs> Simply put, he is absolutely 100% the biggest douche I have seen in quite some time. I'm not vibing with his energy. Even I hated him. <laughs> we get a sense that he's not there to pay tribute. He's there to request tribute for him falling into to Java's rule or Bib Fortuna's rule. But not only that, like the way he went about it, though, Parker, was just like, to your point, the He's super confident. Douchiest way to go about it. Like, he basically played it up as like, oh, well, I'm not going to bring you tribute, but I'm going to ask you for one, kind of, sort of. And it makes me wonder, like, I don't see anything like that flying when Jabba the Hutt is running things on Mos Espa. I wonder if Bib Fortuna this is, seems like he just had a weaker spine and allowed that to happen. This is a straight up power vacuum. This is a swinging contest this is what's going down this is him trying to dominate boba right at the get so i believe that mayor is the athorian uh, race that we saw in the prequels and this twilic is his domo this is his representative this is his right hand guy he's very confident he knows he's got power he's cocky especially when he left and before he left I would not be surprised if you receive another delegation in the near future. That didn't seem very, yeah, it didn't seem very friendly at all. When Douche Canoe leaves? Yeah, when, when Douche Canoe leaves, we'll, we'll put it at that. But uh, notice right when, before he leaves, when he says that, he steps away from the trap door of the, the FET. Like, he says, okay, apologies, and then he leaves, and he he's removed himself from that trap door, and he says, Oh, by the way, and he says his line and and bounces out. I thought he which tells me that he's a little he's smart. Like he knows he he knows he's a douche, but he knows what he's doing essentially. But uh and then well and Fennec even drops the line where she says if he would have acted with such insolence with Java, he would have fed you to his menagerie. Correct. So I wonder I can't remember if that was before or after his comment, but maybe that was his primer. He was like Oh, no, that was definitely before, and that's why he's, like, he's sandbagging his power. But he he didn't seem threatened, um, which is might be a huge mistake for him, definitely in the future. They're going to keep an eye on him, and that's very smart because you can fill the power vacuum there, and that's his going to be his opposition. And I think he's going to be one of the main antagonists of this show. And then after that, we see the two Gamorian guards that they have captured in service of Bib Fortuna and also Jabba that were loyal to him to the very end. The droid mentions that they were going to torture them and basically kill them. And now here, here it goes with uh, Fett rising up and saying, Hey, if I spare your life, will you be in service to me? And they both bow and they are indebted to Boba, which is now Phoenix Shan doesn't approve of this, which is a little interesting dude that happened to her essentially like he saved her life and and now she provides his service so with her saying that that wasn't a good idea kind of threw me off a little bit but uh now he's got these two but i think she understands tattooing culture like 
you know what I mean? Like she understands that there has to be strength there. My next point is that when, uh, when he's, when he says, when she says to him about the, uh, the mayor's representative, he's, he wants you to pay him tribute. And he's like, I'm the crime Lord. He's supposed to pay me. Boba has no idea how to run this joint. Finnick seems like the better can- candidate for the throne period. Like even when they walk down the streets, like she knows the in and out. She thinks, you know, we should we should try to stick with um, um, the normalities of of things. And Boba wants to show respect and show that this can be done a different way. But the road of doing so is not going to be smooth, especially when it's throwing everybody off. They, they see it as a weakness, especially in Tatooine, because this is all they know, period. I mean, they have races with people shooting at them while they're racing. Tatooine's pretty hardcore. They're metal. Well, and everybody's, like we said earlier, just trying to survive. Like, that's all Tatooine is, is you either survive or you die. It's a super, super harsh place. We, uh, at that point, they decide to visit one of Jabba's previous establishments. Uh, I believe it's a, just a normal cantina, right? I didn't catch like a name of it or anything, but they go to visit the boss who is also a Twi'lek. Um, but <laughs> there were a couple of awesome little Easter eggs and cameos in just the introduction to that. We see somehow his name, Max Rebo and some Part of his band, which <laughs> is called the Jizz Whalers. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, but we see Max Rebo, the little blue elephant looking dude, and some members of his cantina band playing that famous cantina band theme, Reimagined. nice little guitar going and then also the dealer like i'll just say poker dealer blackjack dealer um in that cantina is a droid known as rex who was the actual pilot on the old star tours rides at disneyland and disney world who now is replaced by c3po um, and he also is a dj known as dj rex at galaxy's edge ogus cantina so that's pretty cool. They dropped that in there too. You gotta love the Easter eggs from the park, Ian. That oh. makes me want to go. We need to go. We need to have a Boys of Mandalore trip for sure. The Slice of Paradise. This is the this is the lodge of uh, uh, Gossip Whip, which is a female Twi'lek. Um, she is in charge of this lodge. I'm not exactly sure how big of a player in this crime syndicate she, you know, or if she's just one of the one of the big vassals under Boba's territory for under protection and under Boba's watch. She learns very quickly and respects Boba very quickly of the knowledge of the replacement of Bib Fortuna after getting their helmets cleaned. I mean, it was just a brief introduction after, but after that introduction, she seems kind of 
uneasy about the situation. Like she's all smiles, but as soon as she turns away, she doesn't look very pleased by the situation. Yeah, she's just gone. And yeah, it's an interesting relationship that they have. And I wonder if Boba even knows anything about it, but it leads me to believe that it's just almost like a money laundering operation that Jabba had set up kind of tying back into, you know, like mob boss Mm -hmm. stories that we're all familiar with. Right. So I don't know if she's going to be a big player, uh, doing, going through, I keep on bringing up the trailers and, and seeing that the table of crime Lords, I don't see her there. So I don't think she's a big player, um, she just might be, like I said, one of the vassals under Boba's control. And there's going to be married many territories for him to manage like this. And that's kind of what he's doing is introducing himself and uh, showing who's, who's running things. And what's interesting is just like, I didn't see your parade. I didn't see you being carried through. He's like, I can walk on my own two feet. This is how I'm. I'm not scared to hide behind a palace. I'm. I'm here, face to face, which is going to earn a lot of respect, and also is very dangerous for Boba, which I, which we see him get into after he leaves. You know the the slice of paradise lounge. Yeah, just literal moments later, as they're walking back, they are ambushed by a group of probably six assassins. I would say, mm-hmm. with some pretty intense sort of like ray shield almost kind of things and stunning staffs that, you know, they just form a perimeter around the Boba and Fennec and go to town. Now, I mean, they try as they might. Boba like boosts Fennec up to try and maybe get over. But this is really interesting. Why wouldn't he use his jetpack in that matter? I don't know if he had it because when he was meeting, when he was getting all the people visiting him for his tribute, I noticed he did not have his jetpack on. So maybe he just left he it. Didn't have his jetpack on so we can lounge him back to his throne, Ian. So this assassination attempt is very interesting because it shows that they they know he's in power. Someone someone has been commissioned to do this, and I'm pretty sure it's the mayor. And that that comment that that Twilik left was was a part of this. I'd say it's 100% the mayor's commission of the assassination of Boba. When Finnick Shan uh, starts to chase after one and Boba says, keep him alive. And which is actually really badass because we, we see Phoenix like she's a master assassin. She's a really good combat specialist, really good sharpshooter. She's kind of like an all around character. She's a really strong character. And I'm starting to, appreciate her a lot more because I talked on her in the last episode. I think her acting is just a little bit weird when she tries to play badass, like without her helmet, but some of her dialogue has been great. And she seems to, to be a real big weapon for Boba and the loyalty. Hopefully it holds because she, she knows what she's doing. She can hold her own, but she definitely captures one of them. And they're going to bring him back to the palace and squeeze that information. And I 100% just watching this episode, it's going to be the mayor that, that did it. And Boba's going to knock on his front door and on his carpet. Cause that's what I would do. That's what I would do. I mean, it has to be the mayor because the way, like he, exactly what you said, the way that the douche representative <laughs> just treated Boba, the way he left it, it was totally just, 
foreshadowing like hey we got this band of people coming to kill you and maybe they would have but special shout out to the uh gamorian guards because those dudes they saved the day it was an immediate payoff from what boba did yeah by sac- or by saving their lives and that's what you see like the, the payoffs of his leniency and his morality starting to pay off because what do we see we see him he saved finnick he didn't hit the he didn't strike the uh tuscan kid when he was trying to escape but he absolutely just like disintegrated the homie that was trying to climb that building with his rocket that's the thing is like don't cross him because he will jack you oh for sure and I would be remiss if I didn't drop in a little office reference with that whole scene just being hardcore, parkour, hardcore, parkour. I'm right behind you, Andy. Come on. Do yeah. How do we feel about parkour in 2021? Is it played out? I've been jumping off of buildings when I was a teenager. That's why my back's so effed up. It was great. I like that. Well, and tattooing is the perfect place for it. It's like low roofs, lots of stuff going on. It's true. Yeah. But I did want to call out the brutality of Fennec, though, because she did not only capture both those. Well, I mean, she was cornered and she didn't have a weapon, basically, right? Yeah, that's a good point that you bring up. She had to steal the weapon from her or him. She looked at one of them and kind of took a second to calculate maybe how they fought Mm -hmm. or who's the weak one, in a sense. And she kicked that other one off. Oh, she checkmated him. She knew exactly which one was going to squeal. So that's... That's what I captured from that. So Fennec got to sneak in that brutality, even though Boba's kind of getting a little lenient. Then, unfortunately, we don't get any more present day material aside from we see the Gamorreans hauling Boba back to the Bacta tank because he's he was just like annihilated. I mean, he was getting tased left and right, and he actually even like grabbed one of them with his hand and then turned it on the dude, and you saw that brutality come back. Like, the look on his face was the same look on his face we saw in The Mandalorian when he was just beating one of the stormtroopers senselessly with his caffy stick. But you can tell. I mean, it took a toll on him, and he's already weak enough as it is, even though he's been in the Bacta. Good point, good point, good point. Because I had several people text me and say, what the heck is going on with Boba? He's getting his ass handed to him. My dad even mentioned it. Gimpy mentioned it. So I want to shout out to them, but you're right because he's, he's not 100% him needing healing properties from the back to tank shows that he's going to be in that tank a long time. And when he does, I think this is when these flashbacks occur because when he gets knocked out and the guards put him in, we go straight back to the past and the flashbacks and his dreams of what happened at the uh, Tuscan camp. Yeah, uh, at this point, we see Boba and the Roydian being taken by this child, Tusken Raider, and their loyal Massif, and out into the desert. And the first thing they come across is smoke. They see some smoke, so they creep a little closer. They peek over the dune, and we see a moisture farm. And with that moisture farm, we see some dude just getting absolutely jumped by dudes on their little speeders. Um, It's like a biker gang in the desert. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So they beat the crap out of him, and then they spray paint their graffiti, their symbol on his home, and then they speed off. But what was really interesting, and I didn't catch until the second time I watched the episode, was in the ground, you see water spewing out of this vessel, which 
I didn't notice on the first time, but the second time I was like, oh, it's a moisture farm. And it's probably this gang coming to steal some water, beat the crap out of this dude, keep him in line. So I'm sure that's something that probably has happened. At first I was like, oh my gosh, it's Uncle Owen and Aunt Baru. But then I remember they're just charred little crisps. They've been done for a while. <laughs> and it was the Empire, right, that got them. <laughs> this is an, This is also another thing, and this could possibly be um, another part of Boba's territory and what he's supposed to protect. And with the power vacuum gone of Bib Fortuna and Jabba, these these uh, raiders have gone ballistic and taken over these moisture farms. But also, you got to think of Jabba taxed, like water taxed these moist these moisture farms, and because it's kind of like their only form of payment, because they they really can't they don't really have any money. They're farmers, yeah. so the only thing they can pay for protection for Jabba's protection is water itself. That's a really good point. Which is valuable on Tatooine. Well, I mean, we saw that right after this scene, and I want you to pay attention to the Tuscan child and how he behaves on approaching this this scene, because he doesn't see he seems pretty fearful from this gang, and I think it's going to play a role with the Tuscans and this gang in the future. Possibly, it's going to be another altercation where Boba has to step in and help these Tuscans out against this gang. Or even another moisture farmer. Yeah, there's there's no way you have Tuscan raiders like in mass and these gangs roaming around the same areas and never crossing paths. Like they have they've had to have crossed paths before, and that's a you know the little kid is going to remember. They that. live on the land, and those bikers raid on the land. Yeah, have we seen that symbol at all? Before? No, not to my knowledge. I haven't really seen any. Ian, have you seen anything? I think it's just brand new. I think it's just a mark. I think when you actually climb into the uh the like the literature and the alphabet of star wars i think it's a letter t if my memory serves uh i can't recall any kind of faction with a t yeah no same here it was it was new but what's the race of those guys the race of the biker game um i don't know i didn't even get a good look at them they look human to me but I'm just assuming that it's something – I assume it's something that they introduced and that they'll call back in future episodes. Like maybe we'll see as Boba's walking around Mos Espa this symbol or you know, he'll be out with the Tuscans again and we'll see a flag of that. Symbol. You're definitely going to see the Biker Gang again. Yeah. I think they're going to be an issue and they're going to play a role. So after that, Boba and the Rodian end up digging for – something in this end we have no idea until the rhodian finds something and like mike said earlier it's a little pod that has water in it and which is obviously a very valuable resource um so like you said mike they bring their slave labor out in hopes that they can dig through the sands because who really wants to do that and find life find water supply which is really gross at the same time. I don't like those pods. I'm sorry. It's going to be a thing. They make you uneasy. <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't take a drink? To drink water out of that thing? Ugh. I mean, if I was on Tatooine, then yeah. It's like a coconut. <laughs> but Boba struggles to find them, and, and the other guy finds a couple. As soon as he finds one, he takes a, a snap and starts to take a drink. Uh, the child Tuscan... Uh, kind of refuses this action, which he takes a kind of 
blocks the stick and says, I'm thirsty. I need, need a drink and gives him the rest, which he, which he feeds to the dog. And then they just keep on crawling until Mr. Wad runs into a Sangoro. Should we call him? Yeah. Before that fact, we need to, he, he, he started to talk to him about, Hey man, we could have escaped. We could have gone to Hammerhead and we could have got at, gone out of here. And He's kind of refusing. He's kind of stubborn in that fact where he's he's so worried about trying to escape and to and dying. He ends up when he stays. He he's gonna die. And he wakes up this creature within the sands. And it was a weird species, which I've never seen before. I don't know if it's in the archives of Star Wars or even on Tatooine. I haven't found any knowledge of this creature, but they have a fight on their hands. Yeah, when he first uncovered it. Like my immediate thought was, oh, that's a crate dragon, but Sangoro, like you said, I like that. I just didn't I, like the too many arms was weird. Like having him fight with like all these arms going on, then he like walked on him. That was <laughs> it's a little much for me, but I liked it when he walked on him though. Like yeah, it was it was cool to introduce another another creature, but he ends up, but he smashes. The roadie, yeah, the Rodian. like just <laughs> pile drives him into the sand, and he hits Boba a few times, and you can tell Boba's pretty out of sorts once he gets smacked and he's hanging upside down, and somehow has his wits about him enough to loop the chain around two of this creature's arms, kind of tying them together, making them useless. But it's like the dude's got freaking four more, right? And the Tuscan kid has some balls. He came up with Nick and stabbed him. Which gave gave him the time to to reach his neck. Yes, yeah, which I also thought it was a, a another callback of Leia killing uh, Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, for sure. And then eventually they beheaded him and took it back to the camp because in Tuscan culture, bringing back the head of your kill and like we saw it with the crate dragon getting the pearl of that kill is very valuable and 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 it brings status to the tribe. Um, when he brings back the head and also. You know, he brings back the kid alive with his his chains are off him. He he's free to go. Like he could have he could have left after that and let the kid to to find his way back. But I think he helped him find his way back. And uh, I I don't know if the the Tuscan kid was telling the story that he defeated that creature, but the leader of the tribe of the Tuscan well, camp at one point the kid like makes the motion of choking mm-hmm. the creature. And I thought he pointed at Boba, but I could be wrong. You you could be right. Like he, he could have told the story or whatever, but it gains the attention of the, the Tuscan chief. And he realized that Boba for sure helps in that kill and hands him a pot of water showing respect. Oh yeah. I'm sure Boba wants to learn everything he can from this culture because Boba's calculated like that. Right. I mean, he saw how this tribal leader beat his ass. <laughs> he's going to want to learn from that because now he's stuck on this planet. Yeah. I don't know. Is I don't know about that because he's made two attempts to escape. It might be just his morality of the Tuscan child to bring him back because he didn't hit him when he tried to escape the first time. And I mean, he, the, the Tuscan kid contributed in defeating this Sangoro and, you know, saving Boba's life. So maybe he just went to repay the favor and there you see that mesh. But I think what you see 
and a lot of his him him being his forgiveness is is gaining popularity. He's getting more power, more relationships, and and more of these you know people are starting to trust him more out of this respect of showing compassion instead of being ruthless like what they've ever seen because every time he does this it like blows everybody's mind it's just not what they're used to on this planet and we see the immediate payoff with the gamorian guards but as you were saying that i had a thought cross my mind where i wonder if this relationship he's set up or he's going to be setting up with the tuscan raider tribe could that potentially come back into his favor when he is the crime lord of course in Mos Espa? Uh, definitely, for sure. Like he's like, yo, mayor, let's go toe to toe. I got my, I got my homies over here. They are, they are another facet of his possible army. Who knows the land better than the Sand People? And do you really think Jabba was using the Sand People for anything? Well, no. Do we have any? Yeah. They don't have any respect for any outside source. I mean, other than when what we saw in The Mandalorian, you can see that uh, Din actually communicated with them and, and started to help them in the cause of defeating the Krayt Dragon. So it's kind of just showing that these Tuscans are not so barbarous. It's just the way they've lived and the way they've been treated in the past is that they just don't trust anybody else. Well, and I think there's a lot unknown with them and what's that famous saying where it's like what you don't understand you're going to be afraid of. And a lot of people don't take the time to even understand the Tuscan Raiders, except we've seen it with Din and now with Boba. Yeah. People are afraid that what they don't understand and cultures starting to mesh or even being open to sharing culture, these tribes or, or even people, I mean, we can even relate this to real life is that they see it as some kind of threat when really together collectively we can do extraordinary things if they work together word and that takes us to the end of the episode if i'm not mistaken we're kind of left right in the thick of everything like we said it was kind of a short episode but it primed so much material for us both in the present day of 9aby and the past Boba's flashbacks. Like there's so much stuff left on explore that I'm sure we'll get into in the next episodes. Yeah. Um, I know I'm excited to see more calls to the prequels stuff that happened in like all these animated shows too. Like there's a ton of like content for them to pull from and to make new content too. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to just be, well, trying to be the strategist that I am is just trying to see the bigger picture of where this is going. Um, I do feel that uh, this mayor is going to be the problem maybe for the next episode. I think this assassin is under the penny of this 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 contracted kill or this contracted assassin for Boba. And Boba is going to come a knocking and asking why. Uh, it's not going to go well for the mayor. It's not. He doesn't understand who the F this is. And I really hope to see Boba narrow down and be more calculated um phoenix shan can't be there all the time to to help him uh he's got to get his his crap together especially if he's going to want to run this syndicate the way he thinks it should be run he was just sitting on the throne thinking that this money is just going to come to him he's got to he's he's got to put his foot down and how he's going to do that i think the respect thing is going to only go so far and he's going to have to do some crazy stuff to really take control of this this power vacuum 
left behind by Bitport Tuna and Java. Nothing a couple seismic charges can't fix. <laughs> Do you think the Empire is going to come into play here at all? Like, where are we in the timeline? Baron crumbled, right? When, when he's with the Tuscans, the, the fight for Endor is taking place. Um, when he's in present day, this is nine years after the Battle of Yavin. So that's that's nine years past. So the the First Order is what's rising. The clone technology for Grogu and the blood that they extracted from him, Moff Gideon extracted, uh, is in play. They have they have the blood to possibly bring back the Emperor. This is kind of where we are, I think, and this is why it's going to start to tie into the pre to the prequels, not the prequels, the sequels. Is where I think they're going to leave because they're using they're using these these stories to clean that up because it makes no sense. <laughs> no, I mean they definitely are. We saw you know, the tie-ins that you mentioned in The Mandalorian. And like we said last episode, I mean, there's just such a huge gap. I think it's like 30 years between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. So there's so much time in there to play with. And I mean, yes, you may correct some things that a lot of people didn't like about the sequels, but it's also a nice way to kind of further flesh out the stories and kind of make things a little more holistic. Well, it's the only way it's the only way without scrapping the sequel story into some alternate universe and remaking them. Sorry if that hurt your feelings, Zines, because I'm, I mean, Marvel's doing the same thing though. I mean, you want a star Wars <laughs> multiverse, Mike? Yeah. I mean, well, Marvel goes back and fixes things too. Don't you dare bring the M word in here. This is, this is what I'm saying <laughs> is that Marvel did such a good job. They did such a good job at scheming and planning planning out their their story structure, and Disney's pissed that they can't do the same. They took Disney, they took Star Wars, and within a couple years, they just popped out a movie without even thinking of what to do. It blows my mind. I'm still just like awestruck that they decided to do this sequel trilogy with no. I'm pissed that that story, like Marvel, is it's just. Like it's it's good, and Star Wars just just sucks. Like the writing <laughs> sucks. <laughs> I don't know. They're fixing it, Parker. But it's that's okay. the thing is, like, Mike, you're getting him hot and bothered again. Ah. All right, I'm done. <laughs> Every episode, you can guarantee Michael somehow bring up the sequels to piss off Parker. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite trilogy. <laughs> we'll get there no it's good as far as like easter eggs go we've kind of talked about a lot of them just as we've organically talked about the episode but there were a couple of cameos that i learned about today that i was a little surprised about the trandoshan boss doc strassi is actually played by the showrunner himself robert rodriguez so i thought that was pretty cool and then our favorite rodian prisoner was played by none other than Sam Witwer, who was the voice actor behind Darth Maul in Clone Wars and Rebels, and also Starkiller. Kenobi! <laughs> so good. I love that, man. 
So, I mean, all in all, like, like we said, I mean, it's, it's a first episode. Could there have been more? Yeah. But yeah. Um, I give it, I give it a solid eight. Um, I think that it wasn't a too strong episode. I would, it didn't really hook you like the Mandalorian did. There wasn't really like a cliffhanger. I mean, when they revealed Grogu, it kind of like hooked you in big time. And this kind of, I mean, it's fleshing out the story and I know we're going to get a lot more good stuff. I like the direction that it's going. Didn't really have any complaints, uh, but I'm really curious to see. I hope they tie in more of like the prequel stuff and his story in the past, like back, back when, because we got a little glimpse of that. And I know it's, it's not necessarily, it might play a bigger role, but it was, it was fun to see that. And I, we might see something purple. What do you mean purple? Mace Windu? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I I would like to see that. I think I think Han Solo is still in the cards for the series. Um but it would be super cool to see a purple lightsaber somewhere. Uh even though that is highly unlikely. How old is Samuel Jackson now? Can he do it? Dude, he's a gangster. He can do it. He could do it. Yeah, I would love to see him do it. It'd be cool. I just don't know. Like, how do you? How does he survive that? That's a whole other expose. In I mean, itself. they're bringing everybody else back. How did How did the Emperor survive? That's how true. did Boba survive? How did this the, the other just bring him back? Hey, hey, we have an answer for Palpatine. Somehow, Palpatine returned. um one last one other thing i had noted was the episode name called stranger in a strange land Mm -hmm. is actually a call to an author named robert a heinen he had a 1961 novel of the same title uh, which was actually about a human who was born on mars and some of the people that i've seen online have kind of drawn commonalities in the the Tatooine and Mars are both water scarce. And apparently this human on Mars had to like create alliances with the locals on Mars and kind of draws parallels. With- I also think that it's tied to Bible scripture. Um, I forgot. I think it's Genesis about Moses's brother. He was kind of like foreshadowed under the, under Moses, but I'll have to dig into that and, and confirm that. But uh, I believe that, Mike, you also brought up that on the last episode that these are going to be kind of like biblical structure titles, and I think you are correct. Well, I mean, it's just how we tell stories. I guess it's kind of a theme that we do as humans is we like to put things in nice, neat books, I guess. And I don't know. I mean, with Boba Fett kind of having like a little bit of a savior moment here and just thought it was fun. I mean, you get it all the time in movies, like Neo in The Matrix is like a Jesus character. So well, the hero's journey. Yeah, but I'm enjoying it. I'm I just love seeing Boba Fett in his armor. Like anytime we get to see that armor, um, all in. Like I don't know. It was kind of cool to see. I hope they flesh out more of like how he became who he is. You know what I mean? Like pre the original trilogy like a little bit into that backstory. Like if we get some flashbacks um, so that we don't just like focus on, okay, this is a fix for the sequel trilogy basically. Yeah. So do you think we'll get any of that? Well, I know that the, the actor who actually acted Boba out in attack of the clones and provided voice work for him in 
the Clone Wars, Daniel Logan, he's still a very active Boba fan, Boba participant. So, I mean, you could potentially have, maybe we get a second book of Boba Fett where it's young Boba, pre-original trilogy. We could see the vicious cutthroat Boba we saw leading up to the Empire Strikes Back. True, Boba Fett's grown up since the kid in the cockpit. Yeah. (laughs) Well, any final parting thoughts before we adjourn? I'm ready for episode two. Yeah, I think it pretty much summed up my my thoughts. Um, Just want to, I just want him to see him get his uh, strategies in order. He's going to need it. He definitely is. So until next time. You can listen to our back catalog of episodes where we discuss the prequel trilogy and we made it through A New Hope. We still have to finish off that and get into the sequels. We have so much we could get into. So thank you for coming along on this ride with us, the boys of Mandalore. Uh, Be sure to rate the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get it. And follow us on socials at the boys of Mandalore. This is the best outro music we could ask for. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Peace.